Tonight, I want to ask you to turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 13. And um, I want to speak about the missions, the missionaries of missions. We spent Wednesday, Thursday night looking at what God's mission is. And God's mission is to make the nations glad for his glory uh, through the gospel. And then yesterday, we looked in the morning at God's means for this mission, and that is the local church, a local church that is formed by the gospel, that is firm in the gospel, um, and that is uh, one that is faithful and fruitful with the gospel. The local church in Antioch was the first church in history that intentionally sent out missionaries. As we saw yesterday, the church at Antioch was established by those who were not apostles. They were not church leaders necessarily. They were church members. And because of their faithfulness to Christ, they were persecuted and they were scattered. And they come to Antioch and they have planted a church as they are just gossiping the gospel. As they just meet people and have gospel conversations, people are converted, they evangelize, they preach the good news of Jesus Christ, people are saved. The text doesn't tell us, but we can assume they were baptized and they became a part of this church. And over a period of at least 10 years, if you do the chronology of the book of Acts from Paul's conversion until Paul's presence at the end of Acts 11, there's about 10 years there. And so this church didn't just happen overnight. There was a process here of this church maturing over time. And so at least 10 years have gone by. Some say as many as 14, but at least 10 years have gone by. And now now we read in Acts 13 where God does something new, as it were, in the New Covenant Church. And if you join me in Acts 13, we'll read the first four verses Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger. Here's an African man. This is a a very multi-ethnic church. Lucius of Cyrene, that's modern-day Libya. Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. And Saul. So it's a very diverse leadership, which I'm assuming reflects the diversity of the church. It says in verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word that we know is all-sufficient, and you have not left us to guess how to do missions. You've clearly shown us what missions is all about, rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it's about preaching that gospel and discipling converts and establishing of churches. And you show us, Lord, in this passage in Acts 13, something of what it means to be called and sent as a missionary. And we do pray tonight, Lord, that you would uh, instruct us. We pray, Holy Spirit, 
that you would guide us into the truth of this passage, that you would, in, in all of this, not just show us the missionaries of missions, but show us Christ, the one that we are called to proclaim. And so we pray for a time of instruction and a time of worship, and that you would challenge us and change us through your word, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So the question is, where do missionaries come from? Uh, missionaries don't just drop out of the sky. And sometimes we can look at missionaries and think that there's some kind of uh, superhuman. Now, that may be true with Gareth and Kerry, um, but they're just normal people. But where do they come from, and how do they develop, and who's responsible to send them out, and what are they called to do? I think in Acts 13, 1 to 4, we have some insight from God about where missionaries come from and what they are supposed to be doing and how we are to recognize them. There are several things about this church when they send out the first missionaries, Saul and Barnabas. There's some very fundamental lessons here that I think are so important for missions. As I shared one of the nights... I grew up in a very missions-minded, missions-hearted church. Uh, I remember when I was a little kid, I grew up in that church, and I was a little kid, I remember our associate pastor also led the singing, and I remember we had our first missionary conference, and that, that week he, he said that God had called him to be a missionary, and, and our church sent out the first missionary and sent him to Mexico, and he served there for many, many years, and then he went to Hungary as a missionary. And he was the first of at least 20, maybe 25 missionary families that God raised up out of our local church and, and sent them out. And so I've been surrounded by missionaries and, 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 and I think biblical missions most of my Christian life. And I can say that in many ways that the church I grew up in modeled much of this Acts chapter 13. And so when I became the pastor of Brackenhurst Baptist Church, and, and by the way, I can remember the first missions conference while I was pastor of the church, we had about half as many people as are here tonight uh, for our conference, so you should be encouraged for your first conference. Uh, we've had many of those. It's become the highlight, the spiritual highlight of our year. It's a meeting we look forward to. I think Brad Evangelista, was he here with you? Uh, Brad's going to be our missionary speaker uh, this coming March. But so much of what I learned, I learned from my home church. We've tried to practice this in our church. We don't do it perfectly, but I want to share with you I think five things. I normally don't have my outline, so if I miss my outline, just ignore the screen, okay? But the first thing about missionaries, who are missionaries, and I would simply say this, that God's missionaries are our members. They're church members. These men, Saul and Barnabas, that God called out, it's interesting, it says, now they were in the church at Antioch. And he lists some of them, and amongst this group of leaders, these prophets and teachers, he mentions Barnabas and Saul, the ones that God's going to call out as missionaries. And I think it's very, very important, and it's very basic, but I think it's something so basic, sometimes we miss, and because we miss it, we can actually harm the work of missions, or hinder it at least. That These men that were sent out were members of this church. I love this phrase, I love the prepositions, now they were in the church that was at Antioch. Now, I think that's an important um, those are important prepositions because sometimes people can mean very well they want to serve God with the gospel, they want to be witnesses, they want to be missionaries, 
But sometimes the relationship with the church is this. They're simply at a church that is in a certain town. These men were actually in the church. They were deeply involved in this church. We saw that yesterday that Barnabas arrives and he grounds them. And then he goes and finds Saul. And for a whole year, and I'm assuming that's day by day, they are teaching the people, the disciples. And the the disciples become Christians, called Christians for the first time. But they were intimately, deeply involved in this church. I think that's a huge issue that... Those that we send out as missionaries, those that we support, they need to be accountable to a local church. They need to be related, I think, deeply to a local church. And I think it matters for several reasons. I think, first of all, because the local church is the, the proving ground for missionaries. A couple of years ago, I read the, um, it's now a movie, but I read the biography of Neil Armstrong who um, did land on the moon. I, I, I think he really landed on the moon. And um, it was interesting that he talked about the fact that he was a test pilot. And he talked about most of the astronauts were test pilots. And that makes sense because when you're going to fly to the moon, nobody's done that before, you have to, have, you have to be tested very, very well. I see there's some pilots here and you're nodding your head. You need, to, you need to undergo the stress of that and be proven before you're going to do a mission like that. And I think the local church is, is the proving ground for missionaries, and I'll flesh that out for, for us more in a moment. But it's very important that those we send out are tested, that we see their maturity, and we see that they are making disciples at home. Uh, a missionary that we supported when I was a kid and for many, many years, and he was in Australia, up in Cairns, Australia, and I visited him once before I became a missionary, and he said to me, Doug, he said, he said if you're going to come to Australia, come as a missionary, not as a vacationary. He said, getting on an airplane doesn't make you a missionary. And he, and he began to challenge me, are you making disciples at home? Because if you're not making disciples at home, don't think that getting on an airplane all of a sudden is going to magically make you a disciple maker. So the local church is a place for missionaries to be proven. Secondly, missionaries produce after their own kind. I think of the creation principle in Genesis chapter 1, that God made plants and and animals, and they reproduce what? After their own kind. And so we certainly at Brackenhurst Baptist Church, when we send somebody out, we want them to reproduce what they're coming from. We want them to reproduce a better version of what they come from. We want them to, to have a church that's even healthier than the one that they are sent from, but when we send missionaries out, they need to have a model. What, what is it they're reproducing as they produce disciples and plant a church? I think it's very, very important. This is so vital. The local church is called of God to really fuel the, the vision for missions. And how does the local church do that? It does that by faithfully preaching the word of God, giving the congregation a right vision of God, and that drives missions. I um, my uh, pastor of 35 years, I remember uh, as a young man sliding a, a note under his door once. And, and as a pastor, sometimes when you get a note slid under your door, it's not so nice. But this was a nice one. And this note that I slid under his door simply said, thank you for giving me a big God. Because that was the kind of preaching ministry he had as he preached the word of God. I saw the greatness of God and it, and it made it attractive. I wanted to serve this great God. I wanted to know this great God. 
And so healthy local churches like the church of Antioch will, will give the church a, a greater vision of God. And from that, people say, I want to serve this God. And, and I want to serve him where I'm at. And, and I'm willing to serve him wherever he might call me to. Church missionaries need to be church members because of healthy local churches because the local church provides accountability and assumes responsibility. We've sent missionaries out from our church for a number of years, and we've always assumed the accountability for them we've, uh, when we first began to send missionaries out. In fact, before I came to Brackenhurst Baptist Church, when they were sending out their first missionary, uh, some of the, the leaders met with me and they said, they said how, how do you think we should do this? Uh, should we go through a missions agency or, or should we do it as a church? And I said, well, I would encourage you to do it as a church. I said, not that I'm against agencies, but you guys can do this. You can assume the financial responsibility and you can care for these missionaries. And, and, and these people have been in your church for a long time. You know them. And so they can be accountable to you and you can help them. There's, a, but there's also a responsibility. Once you kind of delegate somebody to a, a board or an agency, there's a tendency to kind of drop responsibility. We had a missionary family in Ethiopia, and I used to go visit them every year. And, and, and this happened um, after my first visit. Um, other missionaries who had been in Ethiopia for 10 years, they said, we have never had a visitor from our church. And we've tried to do that for our missionaries, to go see them once a year, because we sense responsibility. They're members of our church. They're members of our, of our family. And so that's very, very important when... These missionaries to Ethiopia, a door opened for them to go to Somaliland. And um, I went with, with Franz Walter Hargesa a couple of times before they made the move and just, um, just to give them some advice and some counsel. Long story short, they were there and they had some, there were some major issues in the country. And uh, Franz Wall um, drove four hours to get to a spot where his satellite phone would work so that we could talk. And the elders had met, and we knew what was going on there, and we made a decision, we need to bring them out. And I simply said to Francois, we want you to come home. We think you need to come out of there. And he said, then we'll do that. And he told me when he got back um, some weeks later, he said, you know, he said, if, you, if, if the elders, if, the, if our church had said stay, we would have stayed. He said, because we know you guys had our best interests at heart. But when you said come home, we simply responded to that. So there's a, an intimate connection that needs to be between the church and its missionaries. I remember that same family when they went to Somaliland, they needed a, about 140,000 rand to build a home um, and to get set up in this little village. So I went to the church one Sunday night and I, or one Sunday morning and I said, listen, we need to raise at least most of, if we can, 140,000 rand and we need, need to do this by next Sunday. And so the next Sunday, we had a special offering. And afterwards, one of the, the, the ushers came to me, one of the deacons came to me, and he said, he said, we got a problem. I said, what's that? He said, we have 240,000 rand. And so we pulled the congregation together. And we said, we've got 100,000 rand more than we need. What should we do? And Garrett's mom, I'll never forget this, Garrett's mom said, buy him an air conditioner. It's going to be hot there. <laughs> but it was just really neat to see this church of which Francois and Shelley were members coming alongside and helping. And I think Gareth and Carrie would share similar stories with you. So they're members. But secondly, God's missionaries are ministering members. They're members which, that are busy ministering at home before they're moved elsewhere. And I've already touched on this. 
But it's interesting that it says here, now they were in the church at Antioch, these prophets and teachers. So that means that amongst these other men, Barnabas and Saul, are, they're teaching God's word. And it says that while they were worshiping the Lord. The word worshiping is a unique word here that's only found three times in the New Testament. And it can be translated ministering. And it's, it, it was a word we get a word liturgy from. And it has the idea of, of obviously worshiping the Lord. But the point here is they were serving the Lord in their own church. In fact, Hebrews 10, 11, I think it is, or 10, 15, uses it in the context of the priests who were daily ministering in the temple. And so these men, Saul and Barnabas, that God is going to call out, they're busy ministering. They are worshiping the Lord. They are working for the Lord. And it says they are fasting And fasting and praying always go together. So these men are worshiping the Lord, they're working for the Lord, and they are waiting on the Lord. I remember when Gareth was a young man. By the way, today is Eden's 13th birthday. Yes. And I can remember when she was born. So it's amazing. So 13 years old, but... I can remember in Gareth, before he was married, he desperately wanted to serve the Lord, and he was zealous to serve the Lord. And he just kept at me, saying, can I go? Can I go somewhere? And I would just kind of put the brakes on. And I said, you think you need some time? And I said to him, I said, I think you need to go to, to university and get a degree, because that's going to help you down the road. And I said, in the meantime, I'll disciple you. And we had a little Bible institute in our church called the Shepherd School. And I said, you can do that, and we'll, we'll train you in the Word of God, but... But, but, you know, you're not ready yet. And he just kept, he kept wanting to go. He kept wanting to go. He kept wanting to serve. And it was, it was great. And then finally the day came after all this working and waiting. We were, willing, we were able to send him out. But he had proved himself as one who was ministering in his own church. He was making disciples at home. He was waiting on the Lord. Those that we send to the field need to be those who are proving themselves by ministering and making disciples where they are at. They are devoted to God. They're dependent upon God. I had a, a mentor. When the door closed for us to go to Australia, uh, and we were so unceremoniously told that I had no skills that their country needed. I'm still working on that. Although when, the, when Australia and South Africa play rugby, I really hope the Springboks beat them badly. But I'm, I'm getting over it, okay? But seriously, when I was in between places to go, I began to pray with a, a missionary mentor. Her name was Bob Hayes. And Bob served for 35 years in Ghana as a missionary, raised his family there, and just a godly man. And I'd meet with him early in the morning when you pray. I remember my mother-in-law said, you know, you, you better stop that. You're going to end up in Africa. <laughs> and um, I'd pray with this man. I'll never forget Bob saying, saying to me one morning, he said, Doug, he said, remember this, you minister from overflow. He said, your biggest assignment is to walk with God, to know God. He said, that's where your ministry is going to flow from. These men are worshiping the Lord in their church. They are, they are serving the Lord in the church. They are knowing God in their church. They are walking with God. And it's not a surprise that God would raise them up to do this elsewhere because they are proving their devotion at home. 
very, very important that missionaries, anyone in the ministry, learns to be dependent upon the Lord. They're learning um, to walk with the Lord in their home church before they go and do it elsewhere. We planted a church when I first went to South Africa, which is the hardest thing I've ever done. And the Lord blessed, and that church is, is still going. In fact, the, the man who replaced me 26 years ago is still at that church. But I remember one Sunday morning preaching, and my wife was there with our kids, and, and, and the kids had to go to the bathroom or something, so she left, and we had one other person in the service. Her name was Grace. I'll never forget this. And so I'm preaching my heart out to this one person, and she fell asleep. And I have said to many missionaries, you don't feel like a failure until your entire congregation falls asleep. And it was discouraging. And I wonder, is this church ever going to take off? But I think back to those times with Bob Hayes and helping me and teaching me to trust the Lord. It's learning those things in your church that keep you going when things get tough. Thirdly, God's missionaries are maturing members. Mature members, but I would rephrase that. They're maturing and mature members. These men were men who had proved themselves. And again, there's a, there's a, there's a period of time when God call, told Saul upon his conversion that he would be a missionary to the Gentiles. It's at least 10 years before these events happen. So God is preparing him. God is preparing Barnabas back in Jerusalem before he comes to Antioch. And these men are, are bearing fruit. We saw that earlier yesterday in Acts 11, that they taught a great many people, and there was fruit in their lives because the disciples are first called Christians there in Antioch. Now, when we think of fruitfulness, what comes to our mind? I once heard a man say that the fruit of a Christian is another Christian. And I think that's, a, that's good. The fruit of a Christian is another Christian. And so that means that somebody who is fruitful is going to be discipling people to the point that, 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 that Christ is reproducing the lives of others as they share the gospel and they train them and they teach them. Jesus talked about abiding in him and his word abiding uh, in us. And as we do that, we'll bear much fruit. There's the, the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the character of Christ in Galatians 5, 23 and 24 that's reproduced in our lives. I try to pray through that almost every day and asking God to bear, produce that fruit in my life. But these men have a track record of, of bearing fruit. These men have a track record of being in the church and being observed to the point that they become leaders in the church. Uh, our church has a missions policy, and, and it's very clear that we wouldn't send anybody out as a missionary who wasn't elder qualified. Now, let me explain that. It doesn't mean they actually have to be an elder in the church, but it does mean they need to have the kind of character that 1 Timothy 3, 1 to 7, and Titus 1, 5 to 9 uh, require of those who are going to lead the church. Because as missionaries going out, they're going to be, in most cases, um, planning a church or, or helping to strengthen a church. And so what we're looking for is people who have those characteristics, those who are elder qualified, those who have, and a part of that is being fruitful in producing others. 
I think about this often when it comes to missions. Just thinking again about Gareth that, um, you know, if, you, if you're going to send, the, the church cannot send a boy to do a man's job. And, and when I, I look back at some of the stories that I know Gareth experienced, I remember Gareth one day, I remember where I was on the highway when I got a text message from him saying, Hey, Doug, would you pray for me? I've been arrested. And we had this text going back and forth, and, and I remember that. I remember other situations, tough situations that they've been through. I think about uh, Carrie, some of her health situations when she was carrying Eden and was losing weight, and they, have, they proved themselves. But they proved themselves not just on the field, but before they left. We saw them maturing. We saw them growing their relationship with the Lord, and therefore, we could send them out. And so missionaries, God's missionaries, they're members, they're ministering members, they're maturing members. And fourthly, am I staying on track here? Hey, good. Missionaries are marked and mandated members. And here's the point of this. It says here that the, while they were worshiping the Lord, the Lord and fasting, it's while they're doing this, while they're being faithful, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. And of course, that work... And it implies here that already the church has some idea about this, that God has already called them, they've perhaps discussed it, and maybe they were delaying, and the Spirit of God said, enough delay, you need to send them. They're making disciples here, and they're strengthening the church, but they need to be used of me to go elsewhere and to plant a church. But I think when Saul and Barnabas share with the leadership and share with the congregation that God's hand was upon them, they felt God's call, I don't think anybody was surprised. I've often said this, that if, if, if somebody came to, to the congregation of our church, came to the leadership, first of all, and said, we believe God's called us to be missionaries, and if we were completely surprised, then that's probably not a good sign. Th- these men had, as I've mentioned, are already serving the Lord. They're, they're serving the Lord, and so therefore they're already, they're already marked out by the Spirit of God. They're marked, and then they are... Mandated. Look at this, what he says here. The Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Notice this in verse 3. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Now, there's some debate about this. Was this just the leadership fasting and praying? I don't think so. I think the church was fasting and praying. If you're a member of the church at Antioch and you have men like Barnabas and Saul and they're going to leave you, I think as a congregation you're going to be fasting and praying about that. They fast and pray, but it says they laid their hands on them. And that was probably the leadership because you can't have thousands of hands doing this. But what does that mean, he laid their hands on them? I don't think anything mystical happened here. But I think the laying on the hands... If you go back to the Old Testament, when you laid hands on, a, on an animal before a sacrifice, what were you doing? You were identifying. In fact, that sin offering, that's what you did. As an individual, you laid your hands on that animal, and the priest would slit its throat. You were identifying. And that animal was a, was a substitute. In fact, in uh, Exodus, or, sorry, Numbers chapter 8, verses 10 to 11, 
read that this evening and you'll see that the priest, actually the, the people laid their hands on the priest as they were dedicated to the Lord because they were identifying that you are marked off by God and you're in a sense a, our substitute, you're representing us. And so when these leaders, when this church laid their hands on these missionaries, they were identifying with them saying, you're going in our place. And that's really important. Because, which will lead into our next point, that when you send people out from your church, it's not like you're just sending them out to do a job and you're just washing your hands of them. No, you're laying your hands on them saying that you are, we're identifying with you. You're kind of going in our place and we are going to stand behind you. There's this issue again of accountability, that these who are being sent out are being sent out under the authority of the local church. They're being sent out under the accountability of the local church, and the, and the local church has a responsibility for them. And so that brings me to my next to the last point. I've actually inserted one more point here. The missionaries are maintained members. It says that after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So they, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down in the rest of chapter 13. They go from place to place proclaiming the gospel. Through chapter 14, we don't know know how long this was. It could have been three years. They go forth from place to place. They're preaching the gospel. They're establishing churches. And then they return in Acts chapter 14 and verse 23. But when they went... When they were sent out by this church, the text doesn't say this, but I'm guessing they didn't just say, be warm and be fed. That they sent them out with material means in order to support them. Paul will write to the Philippians and thanking them for supporting him in his ministry. In 3 John, um, I'm writing an article for, uh, for a website uh, on Third John, uh, on why you should preach through Third John, and my theme is you should preach through Third John because it's about missions. Third John is about how to care for missionaries, and he says in Third John, "Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers. That is, these strangers." These are carrying the gospel as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. John writes this letter, and he is commending the fact that these believers were well-supporting missionaries. Missionaries, it's a funny thing. When a missionary goes to the grocery store, he doesn't have a heavenly credit card. He doesn't just walk up to the till and say, oh, you're a missionary, it's free. They have to pay for their groceries. They have to pay for their rent. And and, and missionaries are sent out, need to be cared for by their church. Our church gives about 25% of our budget to missions, and we raise that money every year at our missions conference. And we do that, and we we do it substantially. In fact, when we had a few missionaries, we were 90% of their financial support. Because they had a respons- responsibility to them. They're ours. And we want to care for them. I read a biography of General Patton. 
the American general in World War II. It was interesting, one of the stories, that the fact that he made sure, he made sure that the men who were fighting under him were well-fed. And even one time, he goes through enemy lines to make sure they had food. And I was impressed with that. These soldiers, he wanted to make sure that they were well-equipped to fight the fight. And so as, a congregation, as congregations, we have responsibility to those we send to maintain them, to support them. Your church supports missionaries. We've met some of them this week, and I want to encourage you to continue to, to support them well, to maintain them, to support them to the point of, of, of great sacrifice. I remember one time we took a special offering for a missionary. I forget now which one it was. Uh, many, many years ago when I first came to the church, and I remember one of the deacons came to me afterwards. He said, somebody put a diamond ring in the, in the basket. Somebody... I don't know if they didn't have any cash, but they said, we want to give. We want to sacrifice. We want to send. We want to, we want, we want to support those that we send. God's missionaries need to be supported. They must be, we must be committed to sending funds to people. We must be committed to sacrificing. Paul writes about that to the Philippians. And he says this, and we're all familiar with Philippians 4.19, but my God will supply all your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And that's a wonderful promise. But that promise has a context. And the context of that promise that God will supply all of our need is the need the Philippians had created in their own lives when they sacrificed to support Paul. Paul thanks them from verse 15 down to verse 18 for the fact that they gave, they gave to support him in, in his ministry. And to do that, Paul realized that they had suffered, that they had sacrificed to do that. They created a need in their own life. And as they created that need, Paul says to them, I want to encourage you. I know you created this need for the cause of the gospel, but my God will supply that need. As a congregation, sometimes we think of our own needs, and I understand that. I pastor a church, and I understand the financial pressures of a church. But sometimes we just need to step back and say, listen, we have needs, but like these in Antioch, as we saw yesterday, when this great famine comes, they didn't think of their own needs, they thought the needs of others. And as we create need by sacrificially giving, we have God's promise that he will meet our needs. This is not a prosperity gospel teaching but it's a promise that as we give to, and create a need in our lives because we want to support the gospel, God meets that need. And so these members, these missionaries, no doubt are maintained. In fact, look over chapter 14. Let me show you the relationship they have with their church as I begin to wrap this up. But look at verse 24 of Acts 14. These missionaries, there was a relationship that they maintained with their church, and the church maintained with them. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia, and when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. And notice this. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And notice this. They're returning to their home church. They're returning to the church that sent them. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. 
Now, just notice this. These missionaries that were members and they were ministering members and they were mature members, as they're sent out, they come back to their church. They spend time rehearsing what God had done. No doubt this church is edified. It's encouraged. And they spend a long time with them. They're rehearsing what God has done. They are encouraging this church what God has done. No doubt they are reconnecting with members in this church, many new members. They remain there, and they're refreshed before, once again, in chapter 15, they go out. In fact, in chapter 18, verse 22, Paul returns to this local church again. And here's the point. The church maintained a relationship with them, and they maintained a relationship with their sending church. That's so important. When our missionaries come home for furlough, we want it to be something that's an encouragement to them. In fact, I've often said to our church, we need to make sure that once, when we send a missionary out, they don't come back to less than what they left. And what I mean by that is we need to be growing in Christ, and our missionaries come back and not discouraged by what they're saying, but encouraged by what God is doing. And then they can leave for the field again and be encouraged. I hope that the missionaries that have been here this week have been encouraged. I, I can't wait to get back next week and, and next Sunday and share with our congregation what God is doing here at New Life Church. My heart's encouraged by what God is doing here. Well, these missionaries return to that kind of a church. But finally... And I have to add this, but God's missionaries are missed missionaries. I, my daughter married a, a, a man many years ago, and soon after he got married, he came to me and he said, I, I really want to be involved in the ministry. I, I said, I think God's calling me. And he said, I think God's calling me into missions. And I've had lots of young men talk to me about being called to missions, but I never had a son-in-law talk to me about that. You know what I mean? And particularly a son-in-law that, as he began to, and, and I kept saying, like I said to Gareth, just wait, just wait, just wait. And then they had three children. And then he and his wife came and sat down with the elders and said, we really believe God's leading us. What do you think about this? And that was tough. It was tough to send Gareth and Carrie away. It was really tough to send my own daughter away. And I remember going to the airport with saying goodbye to them, these three little grandkids, and it just ripped my heart to pieces. Now, they only stayed in the field for two years. They had visa problems. And, but I went through, I think, what a lot of people have gone through is they've sent their kids away. And we miss them. And we miss all of the people we send away. But the fact of the matter is, one day there's going to be a, a reunion in heaven. And even though we, we love people that the church sends away, and we miss them terribly, as I said there tonight, remember, Jesus Christ is worthy. In fact, I, I'm back in Mac, Mark chapter 10 next week, and it just fits perfectly with Peter says, Lord, we've left all to follow you. Basically, he said, what do we get out of it? And he said, you know what? Jesus said, those who have left brothers and sisters and fathers those who have, have left are going to receive a hundredfold. In other words, they're going to have a bigger family, a bigger spiritual family. It was painful, I'm sure, for this church to send Paul and Barnabas away. But the result of that is God used them to increase the size of the family. His sovereign grace used these missionaries to winning the people to Christ, to side with them and planting churches. I understand this is a transient church because of the, the nature of people who live in, 
UAE. But I'm praying that God will raise up from this church over the years those that this church would send out. There'd be members of this church who have a track record of ministering in this church and maturing in this church and being sent out and maintained by this church. And one day, getting to heaven and seeing the fruit of those that you've supported and sent. We send our best. And we send our best, and we have a great pattern for that because God sent his best. David Livingston, the missionary to Africa, once said that God had one son, and he made him a missionary. I thought it was an interesting way to put that. Jesus Christ was more than that. Jesus Christ was sent by the Father to come and to in fact, I was, I was out running this morning, and I was, I was thanking the Lord for saving me. And I was thanking Jesus for coming to this earth and living the life that I could never live and dying the death that I deserved and raising from the dead so I might be justified. Jesus Christ, God the Father, sent the best. How dare we not send our best? Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for New Life Church. Thank you for the planting of this church. Thank you for ECC that is behind this. Thank you, Father, for, I don't know, the original members and original pastor, but thank you for raising up people to plant this work. And thank you for the way you're building it. Lord, thank you on a, a Saturday night. Lord, the church gathering. Lord, because of a priority of Christ and the gospel. And I pray you bless this work and bless them as they support the missionaries they have. Thank you for, for Koshif and for Nissen and for Moses. Thank you for the work that they are doing. Continue to bless their ministries of making disciples for the Lord Jesus Christ and the strengthening of your church. And would you raise up people over the years from New Life Church that this church could send out as missionaries? Thank you, dear Father, for sending your Son to die for us and to be raised again for our justification. And we pray, Lord, tonight that if there's someone here who doesn't know Christ as their Savior, that, Spirit of God, you would open their eyes, they repent and believe on him tonight. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Doug. It's been such a blessing this weekend to be able to uh, hear all of those wonderful words that the Lord has placed on your heart. And lovely to have our mission partners here over the weekend as well. Uh, as we uh, sing a song of response or two songs of response, we would invite you to stand and join with us now. Thank you. Mm -hmm. 